Well, thank you for being here tonight. We've been in a series on Sunday nights on the inner circle of Jesus. We've been looking at the lives of the closest friends and followers of Jesus. Uh, We talked about the first one. We talked about John, the apostle of love. Then we talked about James, the apostle, the intense apostle, that's what I called him. And then last week we started talking about Peter, the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth. Peter was just a guy who had the habit of revving his mouth while his brain was in neutral. And you never knew what he was going to say. And we talked last Sunday about Peter's given name that is actually Simon, his given name. The name his mom and dad gave him was, was Simon. Jesus nicknamed him Peter, which means the rock. And as we talked last Sunday night... Peter was really a vacillating kind of a guy. He sometimes was Simon, sometimes he was Peter. Sometimes he acted like the old Simon, sometimes he acted like the rock, Peter. Peter probably, though, is known most, as I alluded to a second ago, he's probably known most for his mouth. He's known most for the kind of things that he said. Uh, John MacArthur, uh, this is just a quote from him, Uh, He said, Peter's name is mentioned in the Gospels more than any other name except Jesus. No one speaks as often as Peter, and no one is spoken to by the Lord as often as Peter. He said, no disciple is so frequently rebuked by the Lord as Peter, and no disciple ever rebuked the Lord except Peter. No one else confessed Christ more boldly or acknowledged His Lordship more explicitly, yet no other disciple ever verbally denied Christ as forcefully and publicly as Peter did. The Lord has harsher things to say to Peter than He said to anybody else. He even called Peter Satan at one point. Uh, You could call Peter the, the flawed but faithful apostle. He's a lot like us, flawed, but hopefully faithful. And so that's the guy that we're studying, and we want to look at Peter's life one more time as we conclude our study tonight. And I think probably no other passage of Scripture captures the the highs and the lows of Peter than Matthew chapter 16. If you have your Bibles, would, would you open God's Word to Matthew chapter 16? Matthew chapter 16. And Chris or somebody, if y'all could cut the heat now. We tried to warm it up a little bit, but the noise is distracting. And I know when they cut it off, it'll take a little while to cycle off. But if y'all could cut that off, I'd appreciate it. Matthew chapter 16 really captures the highs and lows of Peter's life, especially verses 13 through 23. So let's look at that. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, they being part of the twelve, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. There, there's a lot of talk out there. They were saying there's a, there's a lot of people who have an opinion about who you are. There's a lot of people discussing that very topic. Verse 15, what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Now he's asking the twelve. He's asking all the apostles. But of course, who speaks up? Peter, the first one to speak up, the only one to speak up, while the rest of them are trying to formulate in their mind the correct answer to Jesus' question, Simon Peter answered, verse 16, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Nobody had ever said that. 
Now, it's not that big of a deal to us. We understand it now. We see it clearly now. We believe it now. But for the first time to ever say that publicly, for the first time to look at a man who was human flesh and say, you're not just human flesh, you are the Son of God. You are the one we've been waiting on. You are the Messiah, the one sent from God. That was an amazing and incredible statement and insight. Jesus replied, verse 17, Blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. In other words, Peter, you didn't get that on your own. Peter, that's not human insight that you have. Our Heavenly Father has given you that insight. And then he says, and I tell you that you are Peter. You're not acting like Simon right now. You're Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and, every, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. And so... In this particular situation, this, of course, is the high in Peter's life. He recognized what others did not recognize, and the Lord commended him for his insight, said, God gave you that insight, and in fact, Peter, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And later on in the book of Acts, you see Peter using those keys. He was the one who went to Caesarea to open the door of faith to Cornelius, the Gentile. Peter was the one who, who... was in Acts chapter 15, was the one at the Jerusalem council telling them, listen, salvation is not just for the Jews, salvation is for the Gentiles. Peter was the one who was vocal. Peter was the one who was pointing to the fact that everyone could come to faith in Christ. So Jesus did indeed give him the keys to the kingdom. So that's the high. But then I want you to see the low. Same passage of Scripture, same chapter. Verse 21. It's almost as if we go from the mountaintop to the valley. Verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day and be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. You see, Peter all of a sudden has this new authority. Because Jesus had just told him, you've got, you've got insight others don't have. God has blessed you with insight others have not been given. Peter has this new authority. He has this new power. And so now, when Jesus said that he's going to be killed, Peter took him aside and rebuked him. i got to tell you, you've you got to be pretty audacious to take Jesus aside and rebuke him. Look what happened. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Verse 23, Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Peter. Is that what your Bible says? What does your Bible say? Get behind me, Satan. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought you just said a few minutes ago I had divine insight. Just a few minutes ago you were talking about... Uh, how God had given me special insight. And now, now Jesus is actually calling him Satan. Look at the highs and lows in his life. You see, we were talking this morning in the worship service about 
Matthew chapter 4, the temptation of Jesus. And when you start reading that at the end of that passage, and I can't remember if it's in Matthew or in Luke, it says that Satan left Jesus for a, a period of time. He was waiting for an opportune time to come back and tempt him again. This was his opportune time. Satan came, this time not as a serpent. Satan came to tempt Jesus this time as Simon. And Jesus recognized who was really speaking. It wasn't Simon speaking. He said, get behind me, Satan. I mean, the incredible highs and lows of this man. Peter, you didn't have that insight on your own. God gave you that. Nobody else has called me the Son of God. Nobody else has had that insight. And then a few minutes later, get behind me, Satan. But look what he says. You are, not, you are a stumbling block to me. This is what he said in verse 23. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. This passage of Scripture captures Peter better than any that I know of because it shows this flawed but faithful apostle. Now, there's so many other stories we could look at when we're talking about Peter, and we're not going to take the time to do it tonight, but just rehearse them for you to remind you of some of the episodes in Peter's life. Peter walking on water, Peter declaring he would never deny the Lord, and then that very night doing that very thing. Peter cutting off the ear of a soldier when they came to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He drew his sword and he started swinging. He wasn't trying to cut off that soldier's ear. He was trying to cut off his head. But he apparently ducked. And when he ducked, he, he cut his ear off. That was Peter. He, or, or Peter in a boat fishing after the death of Jesus. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to save that. We might read it here in a minute. Uh, but Peter preaching the first sermon at Pentecost, and 3,000 people were saved. Peter, the dominant character in the first 12 chapters of Acts. Peter, this flawed but faithful disciple. One of my favorite stories of Peter, though, is one that doesn't get much press. In fact, you may not even know this story. You know those other stories. You know the stories of Peter walking on the water. You know the story of Peter cutting off the ear of the soldier. You, you know the story of Peter saying, I never deny you. You know all of those stories. But there's one in Matthew chapter 17 you may not know. It's not one of those stories that gets a lot of press, but it's become one of my favorites. Let me set the stage for you before we read it. Jesus had been out preaching and teaching, and he was returning with the twelve to Capernaum, which is his home base. It's also a place where Peter lived with his wife and his mother-in-law, and there's actually a house there today that's the ruins of a house there today, and there's a church built over it that you can actually see the house where Peter once lived. So they go to Capernaum. They go back for whatever reason, probably to rest a little bit. They've, they've had this period of itinerant ministry, traveling, teaching, and preaching, and now they go back to Capernaum. And when they go back to town, to Capernaum, a, a tax collector is in town. He's making the rounds. He's collecting the two drachma, listen to this, two drachma tax for each person 20 years old or older. Now, the, true, the two drachma tax was not a tax that the Romans imposed. It was not a tax that was paid to the Romans. It was a tax that was paid to the temple. 
the, the tax was used to, for the upkeep of the temple. So anybody 20 years of age and older was required to pay the two drachma tax. Now, two drachma was, was basically half a shekel. It was basically uh, the equivalent of two days' wages. So everybody 20 years of age and older, all the men were, were taxed. Have you paid to the temple tax? So that's the way we maintain the temple. And so it's about two days' wages, two drachma. Remember that, two drachma. And so this guy, this tax collector is collecting money, and he goes to Peter. He sees Peter one day, and he asks him a question. Chapter 17 of Matthew, look in verse 24. Verse 24, after Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? So he's asking this question. Doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? In verse 25, yes, he does, Peter replied. Everybody, everybody get this. Peter didn't ask Jesus. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, he pays it. He pays his taxes? Sure, he pays it. Now, this is where I enjoy the story. The tax was apparently a bit of a problem in Peter's mind. In fact, I would have loved to have watched Peter as he left the tax collector and turned around and headed back towards his house, knowing Jesus was there and trying to figure out in his mind how he was going to ask him, uh, Do we pay the temple tax? We do pay it, don't we? Or, or do we? See, here was the problem. The problem was this. Remember in chapter 16 that Peter had declared, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Listen to this. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Here's the problem. Does the Son of God need to pay to maintain the temple of God? like some mere man. You see, was Jesus obligated to pay the tax for the upkeep of the temple like, like every other man, 20 years of age and older? I mean, if you think about it, the sons of earthly kings don't pay taxes. The people pay taxes to earthly kings, but the sons of a king don't pay a tax. Why should Jesus... Jesus knew, because he's sovereign and Lord, he knew what Peter was thinking. He knew the dilemma Peter had in his heart. How do we know that? Because look at the next verse, or the next uh, sentence. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. That's hard to do around Peter. Jesus was the first to speak. And here's what he said. What do you think, Simon? Peter's probably getting ready to say, well, I, I, I'm thinking, do we pay the temple tax? But before he could say anything, here's what Jesus said. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own sons or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the sons are exempt, Jesus said to him. Yeah. So, so I guess we don't pay the tax, Right? No, no, here's what I want you to do. Look, look at the verse. Verse 27. But so that we may not offend them, go to the lake, throw out your line, 
Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you'll find a, a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. Yeah, right. I'm going to go down to the... Capernaum is right on the Sea of Galilee. You can walk easily from there down to the, to the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus said, I want you to go down there and, and, and take your fishing line with you. Not a net, just a fishing line. You're not catching a bunch of fish. I want you to catch one. So I want you to take your fishing line. I want you to throw it out there. That's what you're going to do. You're going to catch a fish. I know you're a fisherman, but I'm telling you, you're going to catch a fish. And that fish is going to have a coin in its mouth, and it's not just going to be any coin. It's going to be a four drachma coin. Now, how much was the temple tax? Do you remember? Two drachma. The fish is going to have a coin in its mouth that's four drachma, and you pay your temple tax and mine. What about the other 11 apostles? They own their own, right? They've got to pay their own tax. Jesus was not trying to pay for all the apostles. He was trying to teach Peter a lesson. He's trying to teach Peter a lesson about sovereignty and Peter a lesson about God's provision. Here's how it worked out. Somewhere, somebody, we don't know when, we don't know who, somebody on the Sea of Galilee in a boat they dropped a coin out of their pocket, and it fell into the, into the water. Then a fish goes sw swimming around, and a fish is just nibbling at everything on the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. All of a sudden, he goes, oh, he's got a coin in his mouth. Then Peter goes down to the, to the shore, and he throws out a line, and he catches a fish, and he pulls it in. I bet his heart was pounding because Jesus said, if you throw your line in, you'll catch a fish, and it's going to have a coin in its mouth. So I bet his heart was pounding. He pulls that line in, he gets that fish, and, and his hands are probably shaking as he, as he opens up the mouth of that fish, and there's a coin. And not just a coin, it's four drachma coin to pay his tax and Jesus' tax. You know, if you go to Israel with me today, We'll, we, can go, we will go to one of the restaurants. They're, they're all around the Sea of Galilee. And even today, they still serve what they call Peter's fish. You can have Peter's fish. It's fried. It's, it's a certain kind of fish that they believe is the kind that Peter caught there on the, in, on the Sea of Galilee. Here's, here's what I want to talk about in closing. Do you think he ever forgot that fishing experience? I mean, here, here's a fisherman who's caught a lot of fish in his day. Here's a fisherman who, who had been on that sea and in that sea, and he had caught a lot of fish that, uh, during his uh, time around that body of water, but there was one fish he caught, one fishing trip he never forgot because he recognized that Jesus was sovereign. He can even direct a fish to pick up a coin and bite my line so I can pay the temple tax. If he can do that for a temple tax, he can take care of any need I have. I want to say to Kayla, and he can take care of you too.
He can take care of your needs. And to all of us. You see, God is not pretending to be sovereign. God is sovereign. He is not pretending to be Lord. He is Lord. If He can direct a fish to do His will, certainly He can use us to do His will too. Now, there's one other experience on that body of water that I need to tell you about, or near that body of water, not on it, but near it, on the seashore. Actually, Peter was out in a boat. This was after Christ was crucified, after he was buried, and Peter said to some of the, the other apostles, I'm going fishing. I don't know what else to do. I'm going fishing. So he gets in a boat, and he's out fishing, and, and they're trying to catch fish, and they, they see somebody on the shore, and they says, Hey, have you all caught anything? And somebody on the boat said, It's the Lord. They recognized His voice. They recognized His, his just looking at it. I don't know, but, but somebody said, It's the Lord. And all of a sudden, they heard a splash. And it was Peter. He didn't wait to get, out of, to get the boat to the shore. He jumped out of the boat. It's in the Bible. He, I mean, he, two times he got out of a perfectly good boat. This was one of them. He jumped out of the boat and he swam to shore to get to Jesus that day. And it's in John 21. I'm not going to read all of it because we, we dealt with some of it last week. But there's a part of it that we did not read last week. John 21 was where Jesus really confronted Peter with his failure, with his denial. And he said, Peter, do you love me? Three times he asked him. We read that last week. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Actually, he called him Simon. And Jesus reinstated Peter and, and told him that, uh, I want you to feed my sheep. And then I, I want you to notice, though, let's pick up at verse, thir- uh, verse 17. The third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Then, this is what I want to focus on, verse 18 and following. I tell you the truth. And I think when the tone got a lot more somber right here at this point. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself. And went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands. Someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Peter, or Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. He's just been given some pretty bad news. By the way, there's no record in Scripture of how Peter died, but church historians tell us that Peter died by crucifixion. He was martyred. He was crucified. Clement of Alexandria said that not only was he crucified, but he had to watch his wife be crucified before they took his life. Can you imagine that? Imagine standing there and watching your wife being crucified. And then when it was his turn to die for his faith, his one request was this. 
Crucify me upside down. I am not worthy to die like my Lord. So that's what Jesus was talking about in verse 19. Jesus said to this, this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said, follow me. I love verse 20 again. Here's Peter. I, th this is just somebody I can relate to. This is somebody who thinks like I think. This is, you know, I put my foot in my mouth all the time. I, I can just relate to Peter. Verse 20. Jesus just told him the kind of death he's going to die, and he said, follow me. Verse 20. Peter turned and saw the other disciple whom Jesus loved, which was probably John, following them. This was the one who leaned uh, back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? <laughs> I just love that. It's, I know you told me how I'm going to die, but what about, it? What about him? Is he going to have to do that too? Am I the only one or is, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Following Christ is an individual matter. Yes, we're part of a family, but we each have to follow him. And the cost is different for all of us. So that's Peter. I wish I could talk to you a little bit more about him. There's so much you can, we can learn from him. But that's Peter. You, follow me. Let me pray with you. Father, I thank you for the life of Peter, the legacy, because I can just relate to him. I am so flawed, but I want to be so faithful. And I know there's many here tonight that probably resonate with that as well. I pray, dear God, that you would continue to work in our church and in our lives. Though we are flawed people, may you use us for your glory. May we be willing to be followers of Jesus, whoever that leads and whatever that costs. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.